You're listening to Factual America. This podcast is produced by Alamo Pictures, a production company specializing in documentaries, television, and shorts about the USA for international audiences. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Alamo Pictures to be the first to hear about new productions, festivals we're attending, and how to connect with our team. Our homepage is alamopictures.co.uk. And now, enjoy Factual America with our host, Matthew Sherwood. Welcome to Factual America, a podcast that explores the themes that make America unique through the lens of documentary filmmaking. I'm your host, Matthew Sherwood, and each episode it is my pleasure to interview documentary filmmakers and experts on the American experience. Uh, today we will be dedicating the show to D.A. Pennebaker, uh, who Michael Moore described as the grandfather of modern American documentary filmmaking. Uh, before going deeper into that, I would like to welcome our guest today, and it is my pleasure to welcome uh, Professor Stella Bruzzi. She's a fellow of the British Academy, uh, executive dean of the Faculty of Arts and Humanities at University College London, which means she basically has no free time, and so uh, even more thankful for her to make time for us to come uh, today. And um, her expertise is right in line with what we're talking about today. Documentary film and television, costume, fashion and film, masculinity in cinema, representations of the law and true crime in film and television. We'll have to have you back, I think, uh, for some of these other topics coming up. Uh, she's written new documentary, A Critical Introduction, and uh, Seven Up, which looks at the up series of documentaries here in the in the UK and we are coming to you from Spiritland Studios in King's Cross London England so let me welcome you uh, Professor Brutzi thank you for coming on to well, the show thank you yeah. uh, as I said we're we're going to be looking at DA Pennebaker um, now he's uh, it could take an entire podcast just to go through his whole uh, filmography but I think uh, you, you know his body of work uh, he certainly you know uh, seen as the documentarian of, of countercultural 60s, uh, Monterey Pop, uh, but even the 70s and onwards, Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars, certainly looked at politics. He was a filmmaker, uh, editor, I think, of and on uh, Robert Drew's uh, Primary, the 1960 documentary. He's a filmmaker, uh, cameraman on Crisis Behind a Presidential Commitment, that's 1963. He did The War Room with his uh, partner and wife, uh, Chris Hedges, in 1993. And Al Franken was, he was an executive producer on Al Franken, God Spoke in 2006. And that's just uh, six there out of uh, what are easily uh, scores of films he's worked on. But uh, um, Professor Bruzzi, you've picked uh, probably his most well-known uh, film to look at, and that's uh, Don't Look Back from 1967. Uh, it's been preserved by the Library of Congress and deemed culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. And in a sight and sound poll, it was judged the joint ninth best documentary of all time. So, why did you choose this film? Why did I choose this film? Um, you've kind of summed up nicely uh, what one thinks of when one thinks of Don Penny Baker. He's a filmmaker who uh, looked at performance mm. and defined, in a way, how documentary captures performance mm. and worked on politics. Um and in, in a sense, I mean, it's politics with a with a with a small p that you've got there. But you've got mm. one of the best films ever mm. about performance, and I don't mean 
about Dylan as a concert performer. I right. mean, it was the tour of, uh, of, of the UK in 1965 that is the subject of the film. But actually, Penny Baker's not interested or not as interested in mm. Dylan on stage as he is as Dylan as a performer in the sense of how he interacts with others, knowing, I would suggest, that, that the camera is there. Mm. So that's the aspect of performance that is crucial and key and really interesting about um, uh, in um, Don't Look Back is Dylan negotiating when clearly tired, wired, mm. doing other things, breaking up with Joan Byers, yes. everything else. But he never, I don't think, drops, he, he never forgets mm. that he's being filmed. And it's one of the best films possible, one of the best documentaries to actually use as an example of that. Mm. And uh, I think maybe hard for us to, you and I to believe, but there are going to be listeners out there who maybe have never seen this or don't even really know much about it. So They're in for a treat. Yes. Well, indeed, I completely agree. And uh, do you mind giving us a, a, a brief synopsis of, of what this, of, of the film? Yeah, I, synopsis. It's, it's kind of, it basically follows Dylan and his entourage. Yeah. Um, and in that sense, uh, through this tour of the UK, through Drizzly, Manchester, London, go further north, come further down, lots yeah. of trains, mm -hmm. um, quite basic hotel rooms. It's a really yeah. interesting. This is Dylan becoming really famous. Someone mm -hmm. at the beginning says, you've just been in the UK and you've come back and now you're a star. Mm. He is a star. Yeah. He hasn't quite gone gone electric yet it's you know the time of uh the times they are changing which comes up again and yes. again um but the fact that they're in these quite basic hotel rooms with joan mm. byers eating a banana in yeah. the corner and yeah. a whole load of people you know and worrying about getting a cup of tea mm. it gives you really interesting insights it hasn't really got a structure beyond following them yes. and in that sense yeah. all it's doing is following Dylan, following others. And this is the kind of, you know, I mean, we'll we'll uh, talk about observational mm -hmm. documentary but and what it brought, but following the subject is what this whole film is about. It kind of, wherever Dylan takes you, yeah. Penny Baker follows in a sense. Yeah. So it's got a, it's got a very loose structure. Mm. And uh, for those who haven't seen it, I mean, it is... Uh... It's 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 not too much to say. It's an icon of of the genre. It's uh, in fact, I think we were discussing previously. Uh, there's even elements of it that have almost become pastiche, or you know, every people be familiar with the uh, the the opening scene, which was actually filmed at the end, I guess, uh, with him singing subterranean homesick blues and doing the flashcards and and things, and that's uh, been parodied so many different times. And uh, watching it again, I was seeing even other. I've I've even seen references to it in. This is Spinal Tap, you know, these kind of, the, you know, it's it, these sort of things. But, I mean, it, it's a very loose structure, but what do you think is, what is this film really about? It's kind of about how someone is in front of a camera knowing that there is this intrusion but not mm. wanting to show it. Yeah. And it's, I mean, you can say, and then there are lo lots of subtexts. Yeah. And what is so interesting about the film is that you never know what the sub, whether you're right about mm -hmm. your interpretation yeah. of the subtext. Yeah. You know factually what's going on, mm. um, 
You also know that Dylan is less likely than almost anybody to tell you anything honest yeah. you know, about you, himself. Yeah. Yeah. You, you kind of know that even yeah. young. Yeah. You can tell that. And you've talked to anybody who's made films about films with, yeah. with Dylan. Yeah. They don't expect to get the big reveal. Mm. They expect to get an interesting interpretation, a sort of performative Bob Dylan. They expect, they don't know which one it's going to be, yeah. Yeah. but they're not. And so it's all, and that's what's interesting is that it's very satisfying to sit there and think, to try and interpret scenes. Mm. And I know that we'll talk about a couple of sequences, but you never actually ultimately know whether your interpretation mm. is actually accurate. Yeah. And I think that actually that's a very good point to... Um, uh, this is a very good point to maybe show the or discuss the uh, the first clip which you've you've chosen, which is a about five minutes into the uh, into the uh, film. He's having a news conference. He's just landed in in the UK. Yeah, um, and he's got these Fleet Street reporters. For those who are not from the UK, Fleet Street's what uh, it's a ref. Well, that's where all the newspapers used to be. They're not there anymore, but it's what we still call. Uh, uh, journalists these days, uh, they're all from Fleet Street. So get all these Fleet Street reporters, they're asking him these questions, and um, let's, uh, let's watch that clip. What's happening here? <laughs> what are we going to do? How long is it since you were last in London? About a year. About a year. What's your light bulb for? What's the light bulb for? Uh, I thought you would ask me that. No, I, I usually carry a light bulb. Some, somebody gave it to me, you know? Oh. What? Sorry, I didn't quite catch the answer. So, somebody gave it to me, a very affectionate friend. I see. Is a... Who, am I folk? Yeah. No, 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 not me, I'm not folk. What is your real message? My real message? <laughs> Keep a good head and always carry a light bulb. <laughs> well, I plugged it in my socket and the house exploded. Right. Do you think that a lot of the young people who buy your records they understand a single word of what you're singing? Sure. You reckon they do? Sure. <laughs> why, do you, why do you say they do? How can you be so sure? Well, they're quite complicated songs, aren't they? Yeah, but they, 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 they understand them. How do you know they understand them? Have they told you that they do? They told me. Haven't you ever heard that song? Um, she said so. <laughs> what did he say? Do you think that uh, I understand you because they don't see you? Uh, would you say that you cared about people particularly? Well, yeah, but, but you know, I mean, we all have our own definitions of all those words. Yeah. yeah. Care and people no, and... You uh, can't. Well, we surely, I mean, we know what people are. Well, uh, do we? You sound angry in your song. I mean, are you protesting against certain things that you, you, you're, you're angry about? I'm not angry. I'm delightful, sort of. I see. I, I... Thank you very much. Okay. Do you ever read the Bible? What about the Bible? Do you ever read the Bible? Um, yes, no. Have you ever read it? Have I ever? I have. I've glanced through it. Because, you see, a lot of the things you say... I've glanced through it. I think that's a great clip. Uh, I mean, uh, Stella, what is... What is what is uh, D. A. Pennebaker showing us there? Or what what are we to make of that scene? Well, there are two there are two bits I think yeah. that really exemplify it. What it is is obviously, and there are several uh, direct cinema uh, cinema verite from sixties in the states films that look at formal moments like this, someone being interviewed, yeah, 
because this is a very definite, this isn't them just being themselves, in inverted commas, mm. it's them being interviewed. And these interactions are quite interesting. There are two moments, I think, which exemplify it. One is, at the beginning of the interview, Dylan has sat down with this huge light bulb yeah. on the desk. Yeah. And someone says, where's that from? And he says, oh, a kind friend or someone gave yeah. it to me. Yeah. yeah, doesn't he? And then he says, well, you know, um, ask what his real message is. He then says to keep a good head and always carry a light bulb. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm not suggesting at all. Dylan is far too quick to have to not be able to improvise lines like that. Mm. But it's very interesting. He's obviously brought this brought this prop along mm. to kind of... Mm -hmm. You feel the whole time that he's mocking all these people asking these questions. And there are some hilarious questions, like the woman who asks, do you think all the young people who buy your records understand yeah. what you're talking about? Yeah. And he's really quite polite. You know, he doesn't respond in a way that you'd expect. And then the same woman at the end... I mean, he even references a Beatles song. Yeah. In there. He does. Yeah. He yeah. doesn't, you know, so he does, you know, he's very, he knows, he does lose his rag later. Yeah. You see him losing yeah. his rag big time yeah. with when someone's thrown a glass out of the window of the hotel. Oh, was, he was channeling my inner dad. Yeah. It really, really <laughs> yeah. is kind yeah. of, his. yeah, he does. He becomes yeah. this, the father of all these ne'er-do-wells, yeah. kind of all these hangers-on. Yeah. Um, that's quite an interesting moment because you can see, you know, he decides not to mm. say, I'm cleverer than you. Yeah. Which is yeah. would be very easy to say. Mm. And the young people are cleverer than you as well. Yeah, well, you know. it's another way of yeah. Um, uh, but she comes back later yeah. in probably the most interesting bit of that clip, yeah. which is when she whispers whether he's read the Bible. Yeah. And... Um, they then have this conversation, much more interesting the conversation about the Bible yeah. is, and this is what observational documentary can do, yeah. is the dynamics of what's going on. She's, I think it's fair to say, flirting with I, I, think, yeah. I think. And I think it's fair to say that he's quite intrigued by this. Uh, yes, and I think it's yeah. also fair to say yeah. that there's this incredibly cruel edit yeah. to Joan Byers. Yes who is Dylan's partner at the time, yeah, and yes. who, with whom he's just about to split up, yeah. um, looking like a, she's on the periphery of mm. this. Mm. Now, it, it is an edit. It is not a pan over to that. So right. you don't actually know. But it's a very... Penny Baker has made it so that yeah. he hasn't said anything. And this is what this film can do. He hasn't said anything about Joan Byers or about the situation with the whispering woman. Mm. But what his sort of setting up is the disappointment mm. of Joan Byers. Mm. But then there's an interesting moment when a journalist says, sorry, sorry, who are you? And Joan Byers says, and she spells her name, and, oh, Joan Byers, you know, crikey or whatever. He says some very English, <laughs> truth, some very English words, truth. I've been looking for you all day. Great. Oh, how wonderful. Yeah. And in a way, I've always interpreted that. I mean, that as being... Penny Baker saying, I think this is also, this is as much about Joan Byers. And actually, William Rothman's essay on Don't okay. Look Back, he's mm -hmm. clearly completely in love with Joan Byers. He writes all about uh, Joan no. Byers, forgets yeah. Dylan. But Penny Baker is, a, is setting this up. It's a very, yeah. very neat sequence. Yeah. Flirtation, interjilted partner but who's then recuperated, as it were, by someone, by this mm. kind of man who looks 
overwhelmed at suddenly realizing he's with Joan Byers. It's and and hadn't even thought about that. And that's even I mean that's 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 true art to be able to do something like that so well. Okay, yeah, the, the, it is an edit, so it's not a pan, but still, to quickly capture that just by yeah. filming what's what's happening, you know. Absolutely, and he does that yeah. at other points. Yeah. This, the dismissal, because I think that's what it is yeah. of Joan Byers that you mm. get through the film, and the marginalisation yes. of her, yeah. Yeah. is something which I think Penny Baker is himself tussling with. Yeah. Dylan is more talented. Mm-hmm. Perhaps people would disagree. I mean, she's got a very nice voice, but uh. he's a, you know, he is a genius. Um, but, and he's treating her very badly. Yes, definitely. And it's not explicit, or it, it's fair. It's pretty explicit, but it's not quite. You know, it's it's very subtle because I mean, what you pick up is it seems like every scene, in, especially scenes where she is. And it's not going to be a, a show about Joan Baez and Bob Dylan, but there always seems to be another attractive young woman in the room uh, it, yeah. Yeah, who's sitting in the corner or, you know, where, where, who is she? Where does she come from kind of kind of thing? Absolutely. And that's set yeah. up with the with the whispering journalist at the beginning who yeah. could be saying anything. Yeah. yeah. Also, this that, that particular question to Robert Zinnemann is very interesting, you know, that mm. she hasn't really thought through the conversation about the Bible at all. She's yeah. just trying to... You get the impression she's just yeah. thought of a question to ask Dylan just to keep the conversation going. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, But the treatment of Byers, it can't... I mean, quite all, you, mm. you see quite a lot of Joan Byers mm. singing. Yes, and there's a wonderful sequence later where you see... Her singing, turn, turn again, yeah. turn, turn, turn again. Yeah. In that sequence, there is Dylan's manager, Albert Grossman, yeah. and there's Dylan hilariously yeah. at a typewriter. Yes. Typing, I mean, presumably, he could just be typing a la The Shining, sort of any <laughs> old thing. You know, you don't know. I'll work a no-play extract. Yeah, oh boy, yeah, but you yeah. assume, because of the context, that his typing some amazing lyrics yeah. with someone singing different lyrics yeah. in the background. But he's yeah. back yeah. to Joan Byers. And the fact also, I mean, you know, Penny Baker didn't didn't put artificial lights mm. in or whatever. Yeah. So Joan Byers is even in the wonderfully restored version yeah. that one can see now, she's pretty dark. You yeah. know, so... And Dylan's got his back to her typing. Yeah. And Albert Grossman is not engrossed at all yeah. in what Joan Byers is doing. And yes, there's this woman on the couch, yeah. you assume, waiting for Dylan to stop typing. You know, <laughs> it's, and it's just, it's so, it, it's so painful. Yeah. I mean, if you if you empathise with Joan yeah. Byers as, I mean, it's not just a gender thing, but I mean, if you're a woman watching yeah. it, she's being treated so badly and yet she's got she's great dignity. Up, yes, yes. You know, she carries on singing and being Joan Byers. And you just think, you were famous before he was. Yeah, yeah. But it's the way that the camera can, without dictating, just pick up on this very complex interpersonal relationship. Well, since you've, I mean, you've, you've so brilliantly described the, the scene and everything, maybe this would be a good time to actually play that clip. Okay. You know, because then, and then we can come back out. But uh, uh, without further ado, let's, uh, let's watch that clip that uh, Stella has just, uh, just set up for us so nicely.
God. You finished it about eight different ways. Yeah. You're listening to Factual America. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Alamo Pictures to keep up to date with new releases and upcoming shows. Check out the show notes to learn more about the program, our guests, and the team behind the production. And now, back to Factual America. Welcome back to Factual America. So we've just watched that uh, clip with... uh, Bob Dylan and Joan Baez in the hotel room. I think it's in London. Um, I mean, so is there something here? I mean, I guess people can, and especially, I think maybe we sometimes forget uh, we have the benefit of time. We're a, I, I hate to use it, put it this way, but we're maybe a more educated audience or less naive audience. But if you put it back into the context of the 60s, I guess there's, people can react two ways to being filmed. And you have someone like Baez, who I think is just, keeping her dignity and not playing up to the camera. She's just being who she is. And you've got Dylan there who even, I mean, when he's at the typewriter, I hate to say it, but he reminds me of my 14-year-old son. You know, he's kind of, he's got his head moving back and forth, you know, not doing his homework yet again, you know, kind of thing. I mean, oh, uh, do you want to say something about that? Yeah, yeah he and, and there's one look when he looks yeah. over at Joan Barnes, which is, it's kind of saying, oh, well, I interpret it as, can you just shut up? Yeah, yeah. you know, because then you have some more singing. And yeah. um, there, there is, and his, yeah, he's kind of lolling about, mm. and it is, he's very absorbed, but he's mm. also very self-consciously absorbed. Yeah. And in that sense, it's like watching an actor yeah. play someone who is asleep, and they don't look mm. asleep. They look like someone who's performing someone who's asleep. Yeah. And you're very aware of the layers when you're watching yeah. Dylan. Yeah. Not so much with other people. You always think, I, I think you can see throughout the film a brain working mm. of how am I coming across? And it, that's even more painful because yeah. you sit there and think, if he's thought this through, he's coming across mm. as a not very nice person and he doesn't care. Yeah. yeah. You know. Um, it, and is it, Maybe it's a bit, uh, get to a point, maybe it's probably naivete on my my part, actually, because I'm thinking, you know, isn't that what observational cinema is supposed to be? It's just to just show you the the truth. Yet we've got we've got constructs here. We've got him with the light bulb at the press conference. We've got him playing to the camera. So is this, can you actually ever be truly observational when you're, or I guess you can't when you're filming Dylan, but uh, maybe that's the point. I think what you see... In a film like Don't Look Back, which is relatively early mm-hmm. in in you know the sixties, was yeah. the main was a major era of discovering observational documentary. Yeah. You know, up until fifty nine, yeah. nineteen fifty nine, you you couldn't record sync sound easily mm-hmm. because the sound equipment just wasn't portable. Cameras had got much lighter, so sixty millimeter cameras you could use them, mm. and I think there was a sense in which, having realised what this meant, this meant you could follow the subject, Mm. you could go out into the world and film it and capture it. And you get a film like um, uh, Jean Rouche's Chronicle of a Summer, um, where the first sequence is a a woman with her nagra being followed by a camera, her her sound equipment going out asking people are you happy 
and she gets quite excited around Paris. Um, different answers, you know. And it was a re- it's a moment when you thought, when I think mm-hmm. filmmakers really did think, we can put a camera in a situation and we can film it. We can show people what, what reality is like, what the truth is like. What you get in Don't Look Back is the complete failure of that as mm-hmm. a mission because actually it's much more interesting because what you get in Don't Look Back is the only truth a documentary can ever capture, which is what's happening in front of the camera. Mm. You know, the truth that would have unfolded in that hotel room with Joan Byers, had the camera not turned up, would have been different. Yeah, She might have sung the song, he might have carried on typing, yeah. but it would have been different. You will never know what it is. Yeah. And what I think Don Pennybaker and Albert Maisels and Robert Drew and right. Richard yeah. Leacock, all the others that they worked with, were sort of believed, were naive enough to believe, I think at the time, was that there was, you could collapse the difference between the two, between the world before the camera and the world when the camera was there. In that sense, we do know better. We know that, I mean, it's a it's a scientific truism that the minute you kind of look at something or you intervene, it will change it. Mm. And it is a change. It doesn't mean to say that it's untruthful. I think people in the 90s especially, kind of thought, oh, this is all, we don't want to, it's all all a fiction. It's not a fiction. It's just a different truth. Well, I even remember when Roger and Me came out and there's all this criticism, before I even went and saw it, all this criticism. Well, that one scene actually happened before that other scene. And and I, I think if you watch uh, Don't Look Back Close Enough, there's obviously some scenes that I think they filmed, they, they, they went all, you know, maybe that's actually a hotel in London, but yet I know they're supposed to be in maybe Birmingham now yeah. or something like that. But, uh, but it doesn't really doesn't get in the way of, of... It only gets in the way of what they say the film is about. So when they say, we didn't falsify anything, right. and then you say, but yeah, precisely, It's this is not the Manchester Hotel room. Yeah. It doesn't matter, because yeah. actually it's a film about performance. Yeah. It's not an accurate yeah. film of following sequentially someone through mm-hmm. a tour. I mean, do you think Pennebaker was, was he in on... On the, it's not a joke, but was he in on the joke? He must have realised what Dylan was doing. He must have realised what Dylan was doing, but like any good filmmaker, he won't let on, just as Dylan's not letting on. Because yeah. if you let on yeah. um, that you understand the rules of the game, Dylan would ch- would change the rules of the game. Yeah. Yeah. And what's interesting, I guess, too, is that, I mean, Pennebeck, the whole reason this happened is because Dylan's manager, Albert Grossman, asked Pennebaker to come in and film it. Yeah, because you know, he realised... That what, what this could do. Yeah. yeah. And it's kind of cemented Dylan's image from that era, yeah. really. Yeah. You know. There's one last clip from the film that I think helps uh, illustrate all these these points, and that's the one where um, we hear a lot about the uh, Scottish... Well, they called him a folk singer. He later became... He went electric too and all this stuff. But the Scottish singer uh, Donovan throughout this piece. And it seems to be a running, uh, it's actually literally a running joke with Dylan and and his entourage. Uh, they see references to it in the tabloid press and then they just, he's even taped up headlines on on his hotel wall and things like that. And they make, I think like, um, I was actually, we, we here on this uh, podcast try to make a Paul Brennan from the salesman, uh, from salesman references in every podcast. And I think it was almost uh, 
I think Dylan and his crew said, well, you got to, in every scene we're filmed, you got to mention Donovan or something like that, <laughs> you know? Um, so what happens is if, if there is a structure, maybe it's a, uh, uh, we finally get to a point where we get the two of them together in a room, you know? Yeah. And that's kind of where the, the movie sort of, it not really, but it kind of leads us to that. So let's watch this uh, clip where uh, first Donovan plays a song uh, and then uh, Dylan uh, replies with his own song. Okay. When the night left you cold and feeling sad, I will show you that it cannot be so bad. Forget the one who went and made you cry, I'll sing a song for you. That's what I'm here to do, to sing for you. <laughs> yeah, that's a good song, yeah. When you feel you just can't make it anymore. With your head bowed down and staring at the floor. Search out to me with your weary eyes I'll sing a song for you That's what I'm here to do To sing for you Now every man he has his work you know And to find out mine you ain't got far to go Just call out to me with your weary eyes I'll sing a song for you That's what I'm here to do To sing for you To sing for you So I think that's one of the the classic scenes from from Don't Look Back. Uh, Stella, what do you, what do you want to say about that clip in terms of what we've been talking about? About the Donovan clip, yeah. it's well, you know, it is leading up to it as you indicated. Yeah. It's kind of you you're expecting this. Dylan has been mocking yeah. and f making fun of Donovan yeah. all the way through. Yeah. Um, and Donovan, who's this Donovan? You know, and finally Donovan mm. arrives awestruck, starstruck, this kind of, his kind of American icon has come in and he's sitting there in this hotel room mm. and he's asked to sing. And so Donovan does. And I think he's, it's, it's nice when Donovan starts singing. You think, this is a nice song, mm. you know, and he ends with the line to sing for you. And it's mm. really interesting watching that because firstly, although it starts off 
with the film with the camera is looking at Donovan mm-hmm. very quickly. Don Pennybreaker is not nearly as interested in Donovan mm. as he is in Dylan, yeah. and. There are a couple of moments when you hear Dylan say, nice song, great song, yeah, and, you, and yeah. you don't know how to take yeah. that. Yeah. But then when you have a look at him, in, just sitting there listening, he's not tapping his feet or doing mm. anything. He's not responding to the music. Um, and I think the implication is sort of, I'm waiting for you to finish. Yeah. And then he does finish, and the guitar is handed over. It's like some kind of strange form of, it's not jousting, it's kind of some form mm. of courtly ritual where you don't know, it's some mm. game going on, it, it's some macho game, but they're not being very macho about it. And then yeah. Dylan starts up, and instantly the first chords, when he, when he starts to play Baby Blue, you think, he just blows Donovan out the water. Yeah. You know, and you just think, oh. And it's, such, it's a very crisp moment. Again, you, you you don't quite know how you've got that. There's nothing that tells you definitively that it is a, it, it, that it yeah. is this kind of masculine rivalry moment, but it really is. There's a very nice moment when Dylan's singing and the camera then goes over to Donovan's face and Donovan looks down. And I've always thought that that's the moment of realisation. Donovan realises that he's never going to be Dylan. Mm. But it's also, it's such a moment which in capital, it's one of those moments that really exemplifies the film because you can never know mm. what that looks about. Yeah. At the end of Salesman, for example, mm. there's yeah. Paul Brennan looking out of the window. I've always thought, is that he's just about to be sacked, you know, yeah. and he's very depressed. He might just be hungry. <laughs> and here, exactly. Donovan might just be thinking... Oh yeah, yeah. No, this is quite a nice film, but actually, I'm I'm a bit hungry too. I, you know, um, or, or forgot to tie my shoe, to, and I yeah, looked at yeah. You know, there's no way yeah. in which is, and so that's what's so liberating about these films and yeah. th- about this moment, is that you can read an entire subtext, mm. and no one's going to tell you whether you're right. But yeah. my interpretation of it is that Dylan is saying, "I'm now going to show you how it's really done." Yeah, yeah. and. He just does it very nonchalantly. I can do this all day, every day, whether someone's singing in the background and I'm at my typewriter, whatever. I'm just Dylan. Yeah, yeah. And for someone who, with his talent, I mean, it's 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 almost uh, it's 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 cutting. I mean, his ability to just do it so with such nonchalance. I mean, it, it just makes it even worse for the for you know someone like Donovan, or if if indeed he's sort of put down by the whole thing. If in it, but also you realise that Donovan represents yeah. the, the co- someone who wants to copy the mm. Dylan that's just about to disappear. Right. Because I'm, I haven't done my Dylan homework, I'm afraid, but it uh, goes, uh, goes into Blonde on Blonde is just after yeah. this and he starts to, you know, he starts to have a bit yeah. of electric and... Yeah. And, and for you Donovan, I mean, sorry, uh, for your Dylan fans out there, don't... Uh, don't take us to task. This is not a film about uh, Bob. It's not a podcast about Bob Dylan where uh, I'll get names of songs incorrect, we'll get dates wrong, when he went electric, when he didn't, and all these sort of things. But uh, at the same time, again, in this whole idea of uh, cult personality that I think, you know, this it's hard to get beyond. You can't, it's, can't discuss this film without discussing the personality that is Bob Dylan. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. You can't. And here you've got... It's quite an... In, it is... In terms of nations and rivalries, it's yeah. quite interesting because, yeah, you know, we in Britain 
Scotland, England, whatever, couldn't rival Bob Dylan in terms of folk singing. Yeah. But kind of we had the Beatles. Yeah. You know, and you think in terms of sixties music. Like I mean British they were invasion and everything. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And I suppose they were the Stones as well. Yeah. What we didn't have what what And Stones fans don't take offense to that comment either. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah but, no, no, you know. Um but this is a moment where the kind of where the gulf yeah. is quite marked uh between you know, this is something which we didn't rival. And you get this here. I mean, especially with lyrics, you know, kind of Dylan's lyrics are much more complicated, mm. obviously, than anything yeah. you've heard Joan Byers sing or anything you hear Donovan sing. Um, but, but it's interesting because I even came across a quote from Donovan when he was interviewed many years later, and he said, you know, I think a bit of, maybe a bit of sour grace. He's like, look, you know, these American folk singers were just taking the old Celtic songs that we had had, and they were taking and running with them. I mean, obviously there was Negro spirituals and these sort of things at the time. Uh, but uh, but then at the same time, you have the British invasion, which was taking American rhythm and blues, yeah. perfecting it and going and taking it back to America. So yeah. it's kind of this... Um, this 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 fluidity across yeah. across a, a a a wide chasm that is the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah, yeah. I think I think this is a good point to start talking about sort of what is the legacy of this film. What is the legacy of um, of D. A. Pennybaker? I mean, I think you, we've already touched on it. That uh, what was documentary filmmaking like before? I, you know, obviously, no one happens in a vacuum. Um, there were others at around this time. Um, that must have been um, that must have been quite a group that drew in associates uh, who were doing all that work for Time Life, and you had the Albert Mazels is on there, Penna Baker's on there. So, but but what was I mean? Uh, looking at the um, you know even that top one hundred list, there's a couple films from the 1920s, Nanook of the North, you know, uh, Man with a Film Camera, the Russian one. Um, I won't use my Russian, uh, but uh, and then you have this. Gap, and there's one from the '50s, a French film, and then then you get the next one on that list uh, in terms of uh, chronology, is "Don't Look Back," you know. And it's so what what was documentary filmmaking like before Penna Baker, and then after, and he, he and his ilk, if you will. Yeah, that's it. I mean, I think there's a reason for the huge gaps yeah. before 1960, yeah. which is that the films, a film like "Don't Look Back," hasn't lost its modernity mm. because it's actually still, it's in black and white and everything else. And obviously, mm. you know, its subjects were, were young and its filmmaker is now sadly dead. But we recognise this as a style and we'll get there mm. in a moment. It's as if kind of everything before is like, has become kind of BC as opposed to AD, yeah. you know, and... That moment was quite an interesting one, and that there was there were three. It's the moment when documentary filmmaking became responsive, as opposed to didactic. Films before were much more didactic. They could they were more formally experimental mm -hmm. in some ways. I mean, Ziga Vertov's uh, man, man, "Man with a Movie Camera" is it's unstructured. Again, it just goes out, films whatever mm -hmm. bits of life are there. But one got very used to certain things. One got very used to, for example, a pretty didactic voiceover, something mm. like the March of Time through the Second mm. World War right. is a classic Newsreel example. Newsreel almost. Yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. time marches on. Yeah, yeah, you know, and you had this, and Reconstruction, 
Yeah. Yeah. Nanook of the North is a classic example. Yeah. One couldn't get to reality, so one brought it to the studio. Right. right. And what you got with Drew Associates, and we mustn't forget um, Frederick Wiseman, who wasn't part mm-hmm. of that group but was part of the movement. Yeah. His films are different than, you know, but but he is part of the observational movement. In in um, in uh, and in France, you had cinema verite, mm-hmm. the kind of Jean Rouge um, movement influenced by anthropology mm-hmm. and by observation, by the desire to scientifically, in a sense, observe people. And in Britain, don't I mean it's marginalised, it's less important, but the but the free cinema movement, where filmmakers mm-hmm. such as Carol Rice and Lindsay Anderson started, mm-hmm. and you see there the same transition towards the difference that portable cameras and sync sound mm-hmm. make. I mean, yeah. um, Every Day Except Christmas about Covent Garden um, Fruit Market is uh, Lindsay Anderson's film is all post-sunk mm. and We Are the Lambeth Boys, Carol mm. Rice's film from 59 is uh, is most of it sync sound and the difference yeah. is phenomenal. Yeah. So the difference is that it feels natural and that we are in the space with the people. Mm. And w- that was a completely revolutionary concept. Mm. And you mentioned the um you mentioned the 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 British filmmakers, you mentioned um um we talked about cinema verite, but is this a you I mean, with what Penny Baker and others are doing and is this is was this something uniquely American about this? I mean, is this would this was this something that would only have happened in in America, or what, what was it? What do you think? Well, is- would it have only happened in America? Uh, the short answer is probably no. Yeah. But what is definitely yes is that it was by far the most important um, example of mm. the cinema verite movement. Terms are when doesn't want to get stuck up stuck yeah. on terms, yeah. but the American movement was actually direct cinema, and that, right. in a sense, is right. a much more useful term. It's actually cinema that is that you know direct access to the world yeah. cinema, yeah. cinema verite, the cinema of truth, yeah. which actually goes back to Zygovertov, yeah. um, was what you saw in France, and that's much more di- that's much more reflexive. At the end of Chronicle of a Summer, you get the people who are in the film critiquing themselves, watching the film, saying, oh, mm-hmm. I didn't realise I was coming across like yeah. that, I don't like myself yeah. there, I don't like that person. Yeah. You know, that is cinema verite. But it became the catch-all term. Mm. By far the most influential group of filmmakers were mm. the Lee Cockdrew, Penny Baker, mm. Maisel's group. Yeah. And out of those people, and what came out of them, we discussed at the beginning, is what Penny Baker represents, which is... Film, you know, how to film performance and how to film politics, yeah. and that's that. That's the that's the over, over, overwhelmed. That that's the outstanding legacy of um, direct cinema, really. Yeah, for for you geeks, you can actually I've you, I've done this. You can Google these terms, and uh, there's a there's a Venn diagram actually out there that tries to show really? you. Yeah, <laughs> it's a it's a it's a actually an academic piece that someone's done showing the. Where how they all sort of fit in together. If you're into Venn diagrams, not that I'm suggesting you should be. Who's at the centre? Uh Don Pennybaker. Well, yeah, it's it's not actually the direct. It's it's, yeah. it's it's cinema verite versus direct cinema, and I forget the third element. It's probably not free cinema. People always forget the British one. It's quite interesting. Yeah, 
Those I, films of the late fifties very interesting. Well, when we become factual Britain, we will uh, yeah. make a make a make a move in that direction. I think this will maybe uh, as we st- unfortunately have to start bringing things to a close here. What is Pennebaker's or even direct cinema's sort of lasting legacy? I mean, I know you deal with a lot of uh, you, you you teach uh, you teach courses and uh, you have a lot of interaction with young filmmakers. I mean, what is what is the legacy here? Uh, do they still, even if they don't know the names, do they, you know, do they still pay homage to them, and 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 are they still influenced by them? Filmmakers. I mean, we you started off by mentioning Michael Moore announcing the death of yeah. Don Pennybaker. Yeah. Yes, they're very different, but Michael Moore and uh, filmmakers like the British filmmaker uh, Nick Broomfield, who's our mm-hmm. version of Michael Moore, yeah. if you like, yeah. they wouldn't exist without. Uh, filmmakers such as Don Pennybaker. Yes, they're in front of the camera, but actually, what that's the real legacy of of um, observational documentary is that we've got to understanding that what you get in front of the camera is a performance, and so what the, the extension of that is the filmmaker acknowledging that by being in his or her own films mm-hmm. doesn't mean to say that the interaction with the real world has 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 gone away i think that it might seem like a slightly com- it's a it's a long and convoluted journey but mm. the journey from penny baker through to michael moore is actually quite a direct route mm. because you know we see dylan performing then we see michael moore performing very different performances but what they're both suggesting uh, is yeah. Yeah. that that's what you get is the truth in front of the camera Right. Is what you can hold on to. Yeah, I think that's a very good uh, place to to come to an end. And uh, I just wanted to thank Stella. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. It's. Uh, I hope you, if you agree, we'd love to have you again. I think we could. Well, it's uh, been great. I've really enjoyed this. Uh, if people, uh, I mean, if, if someone we if someone wanted to buy your uh, new documentary book, how would it, how do they go about that? Well, it is still available. Yeah. Uh, the second edition, the first edition is not. So um, various different outlets. Okay. Don't necessarily want to. Okay, we don't. Uh, yeah, we yeah. do not make. Uh, we do not uh, have any plugs. We don't have any sponsorship <laughs> agreements yet. Uh, so we won't. Uh, but yes, go uh, go look for. Uh, I think it's uh, new documentary, a critical introduction, revised edition, Routledge, two thousand six. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Makes it sound very old, but I like to feel that I'm going to go back there and I, do another I, edition. Well, I think you probably will, and I think it's probably what you wrote in, back then is timeless. So um, uh, I just wanted to ask all our listeners, thank you again for joining us. Uh, please remember to like us and share us with your friends and family wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And this is Factual America, signing off. You've been listening to Factual America. This podcast is produced by Alamo Pictures, specializing in documentaries, television, and shorts about the USA for international audiences. Head on down to the show notes for more information about today's episode, our guest, and the team behind the podcast. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Alamo Pictures to be the first to hear about new productions, festivals we're attending, and to connect with our team. Our homepage is alamopictures.co.uk.